And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Starkville, of course, is now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you will find great baseball talk all week long, and that includes us every Tuesday. So I am Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic. Join once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Lanville. And Doug, I'm a that is excited about this show as any we have done because Joey Votto will be joining us. Uh, so, you know, all yeah. that stuff that you, you've always wanted to ask Joey. Absolutely. You're get your chance. I will. I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I know how cerebral and deep pensive he is. Uh, I think we're going to go to celestial levels on this show. I'm very excited <laughs> about that. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't, it's celestial. Let's see. That's, that would be we need a rocket ship. <laughs> we we can have the mayor put a rocket ship together in, the, in our spare time. Uh, all right, look, let's talk a little Joey Votto at the top of this show because he got his 2000th hit last week, Doug, and that inspired me and uh, our, our friend Trent Rosencrantz, who does such a great job of covering the Reds for The Athletic, in which we said, if you're still thinking that Joey Votto is not a Hall of Famer, guess what? That debate is now over. He is going to Cooperstown. Uh, I'll be happy to explain why, but Doug, I just thought I'd check and make sure you agree. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We we were kicking this around quite a bit. I talked to Tim Kirkchin and all, and it's interesting that there's sort of this debate because you're thinking, okay, he has to you know do it a certain amount of years, and then you like pull up his numbers and you hear about guys that are like three, four, five guys, right? Hit three hundred have over 400 on base and have over 500 slugging. And he's not only has he done this, he's done it for an entire career. I mean, that's absurd. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's hard. And I think the thing that's so fascinating about him is he has, sometimes the burden on him is the fact that he has such a good eye, right? He can work count so well and he's so precise in his, in his hitting that it kind of works against him, right? It's like, well, do I take the walk or do I, you know, expand the zone? And it almost seems like different years he does different strategies. He's like, well, I'm going to do this now. And, and that's just the mark of incredible talent and skills that you can actually decide this year you're going to focus more on certain things. 
and everybody else is just in your sandbox, right? So, um, yep. I mean, yeah, he's, he's slowed down a little bit as he obviously he's got older, but he still has that same sort of style approach, and he gets on these runs where you're like, wow, is this guy's playing at a, you know another level? So, uh, you know, when when all said and done, now you look at the body of work and you're just like, this guy has been incredibly consistent, and and now when you do that over a whole career over you know how many years has it been with Votto now like 15 years 15 15 years I mean now you have to talk Hall of Fame yep all right I'm I'm gonna sum up the 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 case uh, as we wrote it last week um let's do it this way if Joey Votto was a seven-time batting champ we would not even be having the debate right uh but instead he's led his league in on base percentage seven times which is another incredible group i'll I'll run this past joey when we talk to him uh or if a guy got two hits every game we wouldn't have this debate uh and joey Votto has reached base nearly twice a game for 15 years uh if a guy had 3300 hits we wouldn't have this debate uh joey Votto's reached base 3300 times with as you mentioned doug a 300 400 500 slash line to go along with it. Uh, let's just say everybody who has done those things is an all-time great. So, Doug, any disagreement with any of those premises? No, I, I think the, the conversation I've heard, the context has been discussed, like Keith Hernandez and Joey Votto. You kind of have them in, you know, that's the conversation that always seems to bring Votto forward to create some sort of debate. Now, you know, uh, Keith Hernandez was an MVP, incredible clutch hitter, hit for average, f- phenomenal defender. And as we've sort of shifted our focus, I think Votto has become clearer because on-base percentage, we've looked at the metrics in another way. I think they've been friendly to him in a lot of ways. I think also, uh, as defense has become a little bit more emphasized, then you look at Keith Hernandez, you look at other players differently. I think that's good for the game because you are starting to see players in different lights. But Votto is one that's really elevated when you talk about the fundamental goal of any hitter, that is to just get on base, right? And and his ability to do it in a versatile way, the doubles hitter, he can hit for power, drive in runs, he can get 100 walks, um, and, and he seems to be a step ahead of, of, of the pitcher, right? This sort of way that when he's been at his best, um, it's just been... You, you can't get him out. And when you have a guy that's a RBI guy, a power guy, an on-base guy, who also is dangerous in the zone, hits for average, hits doubles, hits extra base hits. I mean, yeah, he's just done that for for a career. And so, yeah, in short, I think it's settled. I mean, I don't know what he's going to do and how long he's going to play. But it, but it kind of reminds me of you know great players like Miguel Cabrera or Albert Pujols. Yeah, they might play a longer time and they slow down and you kind of forget. Because, uh, but then when all is said and done, you still look at their numbers and they were so good for so long, even the slowing down at the career doesn't take away from just the pure numbers of it. So uh, I think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. All right. Since you mentioned Miguel Cabrera, let's talk about him because speaking of milestone moments, uh, Miggy hit his 500th home run on Sunday. And look, Doug, you just said, I know Miggy isn't what he used to be, but I can't say this enough. Uh, and this is a perfect excuse to say it. He's one of the greatest right-handed hitters who ever played baseball. I'm going to give you a list of all the right-handed hitters in history with a 300 lifetime average and as many homers and extra base hits as Miguel Cabrera. Hank Aaron, 
Willie Mays, Jimmy Fox, Manny Ramirez, and at some point soon, maybe even by the end of this year, it'll only be Aaron, Mays, and Miggy. So, Doug, where, where does Miguel Cabrera rank among the greatest hitters and especially right-handed hitters that you've ever seen? Uh, wow. I mean, short short list as you can think of. I mean, I played against Pujols. But Cabrera was – he was really another level. Uh, and I think I think it's probably because of his approach. The, the, the analogy I always had for playing against Cabrera was like you were playing against a tennis player. And, and, the, and the reason I say that is, first of all, it's like he had a racket in his hand, or that's one. Yeah. But it's also that he could steer the ball. He could really kind of decide, oh, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm going to just – and, you know, so, you know, Andre Agassi type return of serve, right? Wherever you're pitching the ball, he kind of already decided where he wants the ball to be. And he did that with power, with average, still with discipline to get his own pitch. And, and just imagine as a, as a defender, right? I'm in center field. I'm watching this guy with a, a clear view, bird's eye view, not only bird's eye, but uh, knowing what the pitcher's about to throw, knowing where he's going to throw it. The reason it was hard to get good jumps against him defensively was because you could not assume because the ball was thrown away, he was going to actually take it away. He could, <laughs> but he could also hit the ball in the left center field gap. So he always took away that split second of a defensive advantage you might get to getting a jump because you know the plan of the pitcher and his ability to execute it. Uh, kind of like Jeter was able to do that. That's Cabrera, but he did that with power, with with a sense of driving and runs. And and the thing that blows me away just numbers-wise is that I, I've covered him a number of times. When you go through, let's just take baseball reference or any splits friendly site and you go through his splits not only does this guy hit 300 as a right-handed hitter and all that he does it in every scenario every scenario against righties against lefties in april in may in june in july in august in the first half in the second half like you split his career up and all you see is a 300 hitter he's a 300 hitter from every possible way you can look at him against relievers against starters after the sixth after the first we run into scoring position. i mean the list just goes on <laughs> so that's to me what separates him from really anybody i've kind of looked at as a right-handed hitter in my career is that he who he is at the highest level he is in every situation on the baseball field against any pitcher on the baseball field. And and that is, you know, that's the ultimate sort of war statement, right? Who you are in your time period of which you thrived against the best and how you separate yourself. And oh, by the way, he won a triple crown on top of it. So, you know, that's why he should just put the crown on his head and just walk into <laughs> Cooperstown because that's where he's going. Yeah. All right. Well, one more thing on this. Um, Miggy is also one of the smartest hitters that I've ever seen. Um, I did a story on him a few years ago where he told me how he sets up pitchers and catchers, how he basically tricks them into making sure he'll get a certain pitch in a certain spot. And he'll do it by where he stands in the box or how he reacts to a pitch earlier in the at-bat. To hear him talk about this stuff, it was incredible, man. Like I came away thinking – He's like the hitting version of Greg Maddox. He used to do that sort of thing on the mound. Oh, yeah. uh, there's always been a level of baseball genius to Miguel Cabrera that I don't think he gets enough credit for. So have you seen that? 
Oh, without a doubt. I mean, which is why he was so indefensible. And they say that in a un, unable to defend, right? You, you were like, well, if you assume the traditional, tr- you know, positioning, you're going to get burned because first of all, hit hit you hit it where you're not, right? For one, and they'll actually plan for that. You know, you know, okay, two out count. Of course, you're going to turn on the ball. It's like, well, I might decide to carve it the other way because he could do that. And and like a, you know, just a Greg Maddox type example. I mean, well, Maddox, for example, studied you. Right, really had who was in your head before you got in the batter's box. And when I let off games, I used to do this big stretching thing, right? Warm up, all this like elaborate lead off the game. And then I'd get in the batter's box and I my head was down and I'd do my swagger. That's how I kicked off every game. Well, one day I'm facing Maddox and I've faced him a million times. And we're in Atlanta. I do the same thing. I put my head down to look and do my sw- swagger thing. And I look up and the ball's halfway home, first pitch of the game. So it's like, <laughs> So strike one, right? So he watched and he realized that I'm legally in the batter's box and I can throw this pitch. And that's someone that, that's a small thing that you can't measure, you can't explain, but he completely took me out of my game because now I had to go in the batter's box with one eye on him every time. And that's not what I wanted to do, right? So that's what Miguel Cabrera does on the hitting side. He's saying, okay, I, I see the tip of what this pitcher is giving away. I know exactly what his patterns are. I can sense it. Not only do I study it, but I can actually have a sense for it. And I can do it in situationally. I can give up at a bat early on, not necessarily intentionally, but if I miss hit something, I could use that uh, two batters, two bats later if I need to, right? If it's, you know, I have things in the tank that go back 10 years because I have a memory for it. And that's what he is. He's like encyclopedic when it comes to like the, the tips and the advantages. And, and you just saw it all the time trying to pitch against this guy as I watch him disintegrate pitcher after pitcher, no matter if you were Schilling or whoever, because of the, the, the skill sets that he had. Uh, he just, unbelievable how far ahead he was. So I think that's a very good analogy. Like there's a Greg Maddox where pitchers probably can explain it better than I can, but he just sensed that he knew what you were going to do. And that alone takes you out of your game. Even if you do execute, he's already ahead of you. And that's, that's the ultimate situation. So to be that good with the numbers that back it up, and you know three out of ten is, is greatness in baseball, uh, in any other game where you you don't have to, that is not so difficult to get a hit, this guy is like, you know, scoring 99 percentiles, right? On, you know, whatever <laughs> sport. He's scoring 50 points a game. You know, he's, you know, that's the type of player he would be. It's To translate him to other sports, the numbers you you wouldn't even think twice. He'd be a Hall of Famer in every possible sport you can think of. Water polo, you know, cycling, whatever, steeplechase. I mean, this guy's that good. Yep, all-time great. And we have some all-time greats in our sport right now. In fact, Doug, one of them will join us next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. Time to welcome in one of our favorite people and favorite players in the game. He's the first baseman for the Cincinnati Reds. Just got the 2,000th hit of his fabulous career. And, you know, apparently uh, that number 2,000 lost its luster so fast, he then went out and got his 2,000 first hit <laughs> in the same inning. <laughs> it's Joey Votto. Hey, Joey, it's Jason Stark. Thanks for joining me and Doug Glanville. Doug, Jason, thank you both for having me. Thank you. It's our pleasure, man. So so how is life in the 2000 Hit Club? Like when you join that club, do you get a T-shirt or a bumper sticker or free dessert or anything? <laughs> it's like... Um... It's like a new inferiority complex <laughs> gets, gets kind of put on your shoulders. All of a sudden, you start seeing guys with, with uh, 3,000 hits, and your teammates are telling you, well, why don't you have 3,000 hits? And um, I start asking myself that same, why don't I have 3,000 hits? But, um, I mean, as far as joining the, joining the club, I mean, it's a, it's, um, a reflection of uh, playing. It's a reflection of being in the lineup. It's a reflection of um, playing for long enough to be able to um, reach these milestones. I mean, very recently, um, Miguel Cabrera snagged his 500th homer, but he's not terribly far off of, of 3,000 hits. And that's, that's a, that, 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 I don't think people get enough, give enough credit to how difficult it is just to make a major league lineup on a daily basis. And, um, I'm proud of that. I really am proud of it's a thing that I, I speak the most about it. Uh, games played, making the raw, make, making the starting lineup um, and just playing as much as possible, accumulating as many plate appearances, as many innings, as many defensive innings as possible, getting on base as much as possible. Yeah. You know, Joey, round numbers have always been interesting to me. Like you were having just as great a career when you had 1,999 hits. <laughs> But as oh. soon as you got to 2,000, it created a, like a whole different buzz. Uh, you know, well, next thing, I, mean, next I, thing was like, I had one more hit, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, have you ever reflected on this whole phenomenon of round numbers and why we seem to care about them so much? Well, without getting into some sort of uh, commentary on how the human brain works, it's probably just simple storylines, simple ideas that we can all just communicate together. 
um, you know, let me give you an example. I played um, against Chase Utley, who's short of 2,000 hits, if I'm not mistaken. He is. And um, he's probably one of the best three players I've ever played against in my entire career. Between hitting, um, you know, a smaller a player with smaller stature, um, hitting home runs, dominating offensively, getting on base, playing fearlessly, running the bases uh, as tough and as as um, aggressively as I've ever seen, and then defensively, a very unheralded player. But he doesn't have 2,000 hits. But I would never go out of my way to say that I'm a better player than Chase Utley, um, simply because. I have a few more hits and I've reached a certain number doesn't mean that I, I've had a better career or I'm a better player than him. So um, from, from, from my take, oftentimes the, the round numbers are a little bit, a little bit tricky, a little bit tricky. And I think that they can, they, at times they, they don't really tell the entire story of a player. Yeah, I'm see, a big, I'm a big believer, you know, I'm a big believer in, in a player's impact in the game. I've played against tons of guys with very, very, um, deceptive numbers and then I've played against guys and with guys that impact the game in so many different facets and I take those guys on my team more often than not now see that's such a great point because I I feel like we're all starting to evolve now in the way we look at numbers we're not as hung up on the county numbers like why I like the round numbers is it's a it's a great excuse to take a step back and just take some stock of a player and his greatness. Uh, you know, Trent Trent Rosencrantz and I did that with you uh, just the other day because you got to 2,000 hits. But one of the points that we tried to make in the piece we wrote is that now when people like us look at guys in terms of their Hall of Fame case, we're not even looking at the same numbers we used to. And I don't know if you if you feel like the world is evolving in that way, the way the outside world looks at numbers. And I'm even curious about whether players look at numbers differently now than you think they did when you first started. Um, so I, I was forwarded your article and I, um, it's, it's, it's interesting because um, I can't, I really don't like reading about myself <laughs> and my, I, I, someone close to me sent it to me and was complimentary of the article and complimentary of, of me. Um, but I, I ended up, I ended up checking the article out just for, just because the first couple paragraphs caught me, um, just as a baseball fan, just as a, as someone that's interested about that conversation in particular. And so to your question, I do sense playing against, playing against this, this next generation, Guys take a lot of pride in getting on base. Guys take a lot of pride in getting deep into counts. Um, you know, to be fair to, to generations before, um, you know, you're, pay, you're more likely paid based on um, your home runs, your, your reputation, your runs batted in, your wins, um, your ERA. And those paint, painted a, a crude picture of who you were as a player, but they didn't tell you how impactful you were relative to the next option. Whereas now I feel like we're a bit more accurate. Um, and I think that players are informed. 
not only because they're compensated, but also because they want to be the best. They want the uh, they want a reputation of being uh, um, skilled. They want to be um, they want a reputation of being a winning player. And um, yeah, I definitely see it from from the new crowd. You know, I remember watching the Cubs play a few years ago, and obviously when they won the World Series in '16, I believe. And um, I remember watching their at bats from one year to the next, and they went from kind of an aggressive approach, uh, a team that would put the ball and play more often. Um, but then the following year, they just ground out at bats. I don't even know if that's how you say it. Right. Grind it out at bats. Yeah. But they were just much, much tougher, getting into deeper counts. You were get, seeing the bullpen much earlier. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, this is I'm watching the change of, of the sport I've played. Um, I'm watching it change right before my eyes. And, um, you know, I, I played against Carlos Lee, who got $100 million and was a 30 and 100 guy. And to see what to see who's getting the larger contracts now, it's it's. It is wild. It is wild to see the change of the sport. And um, I, 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 I can't wait for the next, you know, the next version of the sport. When you, you talk about intangibles, uh, deceptive players, as you mentioned, that are do, yeah. doing things that aren't so quantifiable. How do you sure. reconcile having a you know, priority on that, like that's imp- being important, and the fact that there is so much interest in numbers and these hard numbers and round numbers, and, and how that impacts how you focus or measure your success? Um, if you're talking about, uh, if you, well, I'm not sure the, the intangibles are as measurable, but I think at some point we'll be able to measure nearly everything. Um, as far as for, are you asking for me? Doug? Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, someone, let's take that deceptive player you mentioned. You know, yeah. what, are there, what examples do you have? And and if the deception is that based on intangibles, uh, things that they're doing differently that should be more valued? Yeah. You just seem to see, see the same teams and the same players continue to get jobs, continue to be successful, continue to... I think there's something that they know that, that they don't want to share. I think there's something that the players know that they don't want to share. Or they don't know to sh- they don't know what they're doing, but it comes naturally. There's there's something about Doug. I think you when you played, there was something about sensing the players that made good decisions on the bases, uh, defensively compensated for one of their players, uh, sensed the the game situation and knew what the right decision to make was at the right time. Um, and I think that those, those are the type of players that they get tagged as, they get tagged as, I don't know, gamers or heads up or cerebral or, um, but um, those, you know, those, I, I don't know if, if, if those players can, can be, what they do can be measured per se. I'm sure they could, but they just seem to have some have winning behaviors, uh, and it's something I think a player that's played quite a long time can sense and can point out. And I'm sure people that, that have their eyes on the game 
use adjectives to describe those particular players, but I don't, I don't know how the teams are, 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 are perceiving. I don't know how hall of fame voters or, or most valuable player Cy Young voters or anybody, any sort of writers assess that sort of subtlety that those, those particular players bring. Well, Joey, does that, does that influence how you, measure your own goals you know like what kind of player do you want to be you see these deceptive players you see chase utley did that influence your goals how do you balance that with the numbers right um i think the easy the the easy answer is um of course i want to be good and perform well and perform at a level that um is as acknowledged and compensated well but I think when I'm in bed at night and really thinking about how I how I performed or whether or not I was I was uh, paying mind to to the smallest of details, whether or not I was a great teammate, whether or not I treated um, uh, my teammates with support and respect on the bench behind the scenes, these are all small things that I think as a human I I, I acknowledge and 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 challenge myself to be better, and those are immeasurable, but. Um, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, does that make sense? It does. Is, is there an example of a player that you would say is like sort of that immeasurable type that you, you know, aspired to be, admired, or play today? Yeah, you know, I played with Adam Rosales, and when he, when he, call, when he was called up, um, and there's numerous players. There's, there's plenty of players I, I, could, I could name. Um, you know, I've got teammates right now. You know, our, our shortstop, Kyle Farmer, is – gone from being a utility player to an everyday shortstop simply because of course he's performing offensively and defensively, but he's also a very sharp um, on top of it type player. But when Rosales came up to the major leagues, no one would have bet on him. No one would have bet on him uh, accumulating almost 10 years of service time. And that's no disrespect to him, but there's a reason why he continued to get a job as a as a highly versatile player that was a fantastic teammate that was well respected by his his not only his teammates but opposition um you know i i really admired the way he ran the bases played defense got his work in uh he was always watching the game learning and growing making adjustments at the plate that benefited his team on a consistent basis adjusted with the times um and 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 for me that there's so many examples. Well, maybe not so many, but there's plenty of examples of players that that are like that. Um, but Adams is the one that I played with that sticks out. Hey, Joey, I want to ask you about this wild thing you've got going on right now with Nick Castellanos. Four straight times after Nick has gotten hit by a pitch, you've hit a home run. And we, we couldn't find anybody else who has done <laughs> ever done that over the last 50 years so i was thinking if nick would just get hit by more pitches would you break barry bond's home run record uh i will never break his record with or without the hit by pitches no i i just it just just total randomness i mean um yeah yeah i think a few of them may have been breaking balls totally accidental so yeah this is this. He's thanked me each time. So, yeah, he should. <laughs> I thank him. I thank him. Yeah. All right. You know, you know uh, Tucker Barnhart once said this to me and uh, he, he actually said it in one of the stories we have up on our site that he, it, it feels like you can sometimes will yourself to 
do whatever you aspiring to do up there. Um, like, is, is there any truth to that? No, I, I don't know if I want to use the word will. Um, you know, I'm, I've had a, 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 a strong career. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a skilled offensive player. Um, you know, I, I think about all the necessary adjustments over the course of, of, of my career. You know, I first came up and there was a specific style of pitching, specific umpiring style. Um, the, the, even the ball was slightly different. Or maybe it's not dum dum dum, you know. So, but you you just have to be good, and I, I you have to be good enough to adjust and adapt. And I'm really trying hard to maintain uh, uh, humility when I reply to this. But you can't you can't you, you can't decide what to do or make adjustments uh, without having a level of skill. And um, you know, I appreciate the compliment from him, but you know, I. Yeah, I can, I can, I can do some different things for sure. I mean, yeah, I've I've read the criticism on, you know, Trout's a good example, and I keep bringing him up in interviews just because I, you know, I I, you know, I I have a lot of respect for him. I, he's probably the only player, one of the few hitters I've ever thought that was legitimate. I'm that's better than me, and so, but they. They mention all the time, can he, you know, make this adjustment on the higher pitch or the closer pitch or this or that, or, and then he just adjusts to it each and every time, you know, just because he's good enough, he's skilled enough, he's versatile enough. And uh, that's what it takes in sport. You know, that's what it takes in sport to be able to play 20 years or however long um, you, you're going to, ha you're going to cross paths with new versions of the game. You know, each generation comes with a different, uh, iteration of, of the sport. Well, Joey, what, so, what, so what about something specific like, okay, this season I'm going to take more pitches. I want to walk more or I want to yeah. expand the zone. It does seem like there's some seasons or periods you go in with, with a challenge to yourself of like, okay, I want to, maybe I want to expand the, the zone more to try to get more RBIs or I mean, how much does that play into your, your planning process season to season? I think, it's usually the feedback from competition from how I'm being pitched or what, how I'm feeling physically, how, where the team is. Um, you know, an example, um, I remember there were times we'd go into St. Louis and I'd, 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 I just got the sense that I wasn't going to get many strikes to hit. This was probably four or five, six years ago. And I was thinking about it the other day. Why, like, I'm hitting quite a few homers. Um, why, like, what is, what's the difference now? Then, why was I not hitting as many home runs as I am now? And, but I was getting on base so much more. Um, and maybe it's the lineup I'm in. Maybe it's how long our lineup is, or, or maybe it's how I'm per 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 perceived. But I would like to think, and I'm probably wrong. I would like to think I'm aware enough that I can, I can, I don't know, maybe plan, plan um, based on what I think the, 
the next, uh, I don't know, the next approach from competition, uh, from the opposition. But I'm probably wrong on that. I'm probably <laughs> wrong on that. And I was just being silly. So I don't really know. <laughs> like, haven't you designed kind of a different approach for yourself offensively? Like 2017, you had 50 more walks than strikeouts. This year you have more strikeouts than walks, but hard hit rate, home run rate, pull rate, those are all at your all-time highs. It feels like it's all by design, is it? Yeah. Oh, no question about that. No question about that. You know, this is my natural skill set. Um, this is my natural skill set. When I was 18 years old, I showed up maybe two, three, four weeks late for, for the Gulf Coast League, which if people don't know is an abbreviated season. I think it's maybe 60 games, maybe more, maybe 90 games. And I missed, you know, 25% of the year, maybe a third of the year. And I led, led the league in, um, and this is coming from, you know, Canada where I was facing 75 mile an hour competition. I led the league in extra base hits. Uh, so I've always been able to hit the ball hard. I've always been able to drive the ball all over the field. It's something I, I've always enjoyed doing. But in the middle of my career, I, I thought, you know what? I want, to be, I want to be the best. I want to be the very best hitter in baseball. Um, and I th look back on the all-time greats, and many of them walked a ton, uh, hit home runs, hit for power, hit for a high average, and I, I, I wanted to do that. And now as I've gotten older and, and that, that style hasn't really been as easy as it used to be, I just went back to the original version of, of my game. Just try to hit the ball as hard as possible, uh, time fastballs, check off of, of, of questionable pitches, react to hanging stuff, and just be aggressive up there. And, and I, I, I'm having the most fun I've ever had in my career simply because this is the original version of me, because it feels like home again. Um, you know, the middle of my career was, t was genuinely tough. Like men, I don't want to say mentally cause that's, I don't, I don't want to get so dramatic here, but it was, it was challenging. It was very stressful for me physically. It took a toll on me. Um, my, my back and my knee were not to be able to make the move that I, I had to make in the middle of my career. It was very painful on a daily basis. And, um, now, uh, you know, that was that was the way. By the way, just just so you know, that was the way I allowed the ball to travel. Um, I could read and and decide and and decide on the pitch while also while also uh, being able to power the ball, hit the ball hard. Um, whereas now I just I just take hacks and um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Well, Joe, any so any to go to go to your to go to your question. 17 was very like my my most satisfying year it was my most satisfying year strikeouts went up my strikeouts went down my walks continue to go up uh and usually strikeouts and walks go hand in hand mine didn't i can't tell you how proud i was of that season because it was everything that i wanted to do my power stayed stayed steady i played every single game all year i, I it's 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 it was my it was i would just it was my you know, my, my piece de, de resistance. Um, I was very, very proud of that one. But um, now um, I can't do everything. And that's okay because I can do something that's that's helpful for the club. So, well, Joey, is there any 
uh, validation that there's now metrics to match that original form of you, the hard hit exit velocity? How is that sort of framed, you know, how you feel about how you're performing? That, that you now, now they're measuring these things that you talked about when you're 18 years old, hard hit, exit velocity, yeah. all the barrels, percentage, things like that. No, because it showed up in extra base hits as it usually does um, when I was younger. Now it's just kind of a fun like video game to play, you know, to chase, chase, you know, to chase Shohei Otani for most <laughs> highest barrel per percentage or, or to, you know, to, to, to I've got a Kino on my team and he gives me a hard time. Uh, that I can't hit the ball 118.3 like <laughs> like like he did a few years ago, and then I told him, "Oh, that's nice. You hit seven home runs in five games, or excuse me, 15 games. I hit seven home runs in five games. <laughs> you know, like just I I I really um I actually have a lot of fun with the Statcast stuff just because it's it's just it's been good to me in terms of like it's it's been good to me in terms of like having goals and then objectively being able to monitor monitor them you know you said something to dan levitard last week that uh, caught my attention you said that almost none of your favorite hitters to watch are in the 3000 hit club so i had to ask who who are those favorite hitters and my favorite hitters why? i i i i you know i i was i would go home almost every day after every single game. And I did this actually in 20 and a little bit in 21, 2020 and 2021, um, trying to copy um, some players. So when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, I would go back to the host family house or the hotel and watch um, Hel Todd Helton, Barry Bonds and Manny Ramirez. I'd watch every one of their bats each day and then go to sleep and let my brain process that. <laughs> and um, I loved, I, I never, I was never able to watch any of the late, all t the, the old, older all time greats, but I would look at Ted Williams' stack page and I think, well, I'm going to walk 150 times and strike out 30 times. And I'm, I'm not knowing that the game is just completely different, right? You know, and, and, and Stan Musial and Lou Gehrig and of course Hank Aaron and Willie Mays. Um, but um, I could most relate and, 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 and want to be like a Helton, like a Bonds, like a Williams. Um, and to, and I mentioned players uh, watching videos in, in 20 and 21 to kind of shift my style and remind myself, uh, you know, uh, shift my style and, and, and try to copy the great players of today, the Acunas, the Mike Trouts, the Mookie Betts. Um, boy, we've got some fun, great players right now. And, um, I, 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 David Ortiz, I watched a lot of his video. I actually spoke to him, but, um, um, trying to copy them and re remind myself, Hey dude, let, let the walks go. Let the strikeouts go. Let's start hitting the ball hard again. What are we doing? You have this. So Joey, let me ask you one more fun question. Cause I've, I've heard you talk a few times this year about like celery and your <laughs> diet. <laughs> Is it true yeah. that you will not eat dessert during the season? No, no, I don't. I, I rarely do. But I, I, COVID packed on like three, four, five pounds of fat on me. Like my, my, my dog died and he and I used to go for a walk nearly every day, once or twice a day in the fall and the winter. And last summer, you know, I was all, I was locked up. And like, I mean, I was at my house like most everybody. And I just, between not being able to go for walks like with him, 
and always having to stay at the house, I was like, holy cow, I'm fat. By the time the spring rolled around, I had I did one of those body fat tests and it turns out, hey, dude, you're a little chubby. Um, and so I, I, I've tried to lose a little bit of fat as the season's gone on and um, I've adjusted my diet and stuff like that. I feel good. I feel good. Yeah. We, I you, mean, you know, well, this is what uh, this is what us uh, middle-aged types <laughs> right. go through, right? <laughs> right. But I, I want you to think about it this way: you know, we're trying to inspire kids to love baseball here, oh, and man. like think of the impact of somebody like you swearing off dessert. <laughs> so here's my question: if we brought a thousand little leaguers in Cincinnati into the room and we said, "Here's your choice: you can have free tickets to the Reds game tonight, but you have to swear off dessert," <laughs> or in the next room we have all the ice cream you can eat. How many of those little leaguers would choose baseball over ice cream? Well, I think you're framing that that uh, <laughs> potential scenario. You know, I uh, incorrectly. I, I so I I. <laughs> I had treated myself to a dessert nearly every single night of my major league career. <laughs> uh, and now it's more just vanity. As far as baseball, I, you know, I, I've been seeing these kids in, in, in the community of late, um, going, stopping by the RBI programs as much as I possibly can. First of all, the game is in great hands. Like the, 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 the game is in fantastic hands, fun hands. We're just so lucky to have the current crop of young superstars in the game. I mean, we've got someone from, it feels like, we've got just so many countries, so just, it's it's big, small, you know, you have every size. um, And I just feel like the sport is in a really good place in terms of of appeal to the younger generation. Um, But you know, the, what goes really well with, with hitting a home run or, uh, you know, uh, going home to third on a triple is a delicious bowl of ice cream at the very end of the night. So don't take that away from the kids for sure. <laughs> okay. I'm with you. Joey, we love talking to you, man. Hope we can do this again sometime. I'd all love to. Best, all the best to you and the Reds. Thanks so much for joining us here on Starkville. Thank you all. Thanks, Joey. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed Internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Doug, take a deep breath. It's that time again. It's time for listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. And once again, we are literally involving you by picking our favorite trivia question of the week and then inviting you to join us on the podcast live to stump us with your questions, that thing we do every week. We'll tell you how you can do that in a few minutes. Uh, Doug, if you think we hit rock bottom on trivia last week, I think it's possible we could sink below the rock this week. So is that even possible? Yeah, I'm starting to think we should um, just go to like a kindergarten class and just have questions submitted by the class. And I think our, well, our shots, our chances will go up a little bit. Hey, you're onto something. I'm, 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 I'm totally good with that. Uh, I don't know how many kindergarten twitter followers we have, but let's, let's try to expand our reach there uh hey at least we have something really cool going on this week because the guy asking today's trivia question is not only someone that we both know and love it's a guy who once had to research zillions of my trivia questions for mike and mike back in the day uh he's now come full circle because uh, he's the one asking me and also you of course the the trivia it's the legendary Hembo, Paul Hembakides of ESPN. Hembo, welcome to Starkville. Jason, Doug, it is, it is good to be with you guys. It's good to see you guys. It's good to hear your voices. And Jason, before we start, you probably don't remember this, but I have to share a very, very short story about the first time that we met. So when I got to ESPN, uh, our mutual friend Mark Simon was in the uh, stats and information group at that time still. And he asked me, which of our baseball people do you want to meet first? And I said, obviously, Jason Stark. I grew up in Philadelphia. I grew up reading your columns, reading your books, et cetera, um, answering your trivia questions incorrectly, of course. So he brings me over to the, to the half calf, which is, remember, at that time in Bristol, like, we were all eating out of a trailer for like three yeah. years. Yeah, so we, 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 get our, we, we get our sandwiches or whatever, and then we sit down and we just naturally start asking each other baseball questions, which, you know, why, why wouldn't we do that over chicken salad? And there was one question, and I don't remember why I remember this, but the answer to it was Mickey Cochran. I answered it correctly before you did, and you looked at me and said something to the effect of, you're going to fit in all right here, kid. Like, you're the skipper of the team. And I, I remember calling my friend when I went home from work that day and said, I knew something that Jason Stark didn't know about baseball, or at least I answered it faster than he did. So to go from there to here is a pretty cool full circle thing for me. So it's good to be with you, you know, the, the, the Hall of Famer. Well, thank you. I do remember that well. Um, hey, for those who don't know, uh, somehow Hembo is the uh, incredible research guru for our friend Mike Greenberg on Get Up and also Greenie's radio show on ESPN. But enough about Greenie, because uh, Doug, here's the important part. Uh, as he just mentioned, he grew up in Philadelphia reading me and watching you. So here's where I get to ask a really fun question. Ooh. Who left the bigger mark on you, Hembo? Was it me or Doug? <laughs> well, I'll say this. I grew up wanting to play shortstop for the Phillies. Uh, that did not happen. So originally, Doug would have been an idol. Once I got past that, that would have then become you here. But, I mean, 
you know, that that lineup, like, I'm, we're talking about like late 90s Phillies lineup. So honestly, it was more fun to read about those teams than it was to watch those teams. So, I mean, <laughs> sure. so for, for, for breaking the tie, it's going to be Jason Stark over, you know, Doug, you know, Desi Relaford and Marlon Anderson and Kevin Sestick and the rest of those guys. So, Jason, I'll give you the nod there if I have to choose between that ridiculous binary proposition. <laughs> well, an acceptable answer could have been Starkville, since we are joined brains here. So we, we can be one singular entity. Okay. So Fair that enough. does work. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, like, he, like this, this guy's whole uh, life was formed reading me quoting Doug Glanville, all kinds of ridiculous <laughs> stuff, right? So that explains everything. And now, my sure. career, and now my career is built upon asking trivia questions just like you once asked and still ask. So, I mean, I'm just riding the coattails of everybody here today. One more thing you should also know is uh, Hemma was so excited about this week's trivia question that he reached out to me about it like a week ago. Uh, that, that's why we didn't even have to put out the weekly call for trivia over the weekend because we knew this one was coming. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure we've ever locked one in like a week in advance. Um, so uh, th this one must be so good that we absolutely would have no shot. Sound right? <laughs> I was very eager for you to yeah. Yeah. For, for you to have a shot at this thing. I, I have I've withheld this from the world because this is a Jason Stark special. This is right. this is the this is one that you would be something. You, I, I would imagine you something folks with. So let's let's see if I can meet your lofty standard. Uh, uh, okay, let's let's get this carnage over with. Uh, okay, uh, Hembo, uh, let's hit us with this week's trivia extravaganza. All right, gentlemen. Yeah. So right now, um, Yankees pitcher Garrett Cole is on pace to break the franchise single season strikeout record. He's on pace to break Ron Guidry's uh, strikeout record, and thus would own that record, the single season strikeout record, for two different franchises. That, of course, being the Yankees. And that, of course, being the Astros. He owns the Astros' single-season strikeout record and then broke that in 2019. So I naturally asked myself the same question you, Jason, would have asked yourself. I wonder if there are any other pitchers who own the single-season strikeout record for multiple franchises. And as it turns out, Garrett Cole would be the fifth one to do it. So my question for you, gentlemen, is who are the other four pitchers who are, who are the, at this point, only four pitchers to own the single-season strikeout record for more than one active franchise okay so four players who hold the strikeout record for a single season for at least two different active franchises correct um, we, we we did learn a, a, a couple of things there um along the way as he was asking that question doug one is this poor guy his brain works like mine i'm sorry <laughs> it does it really does <laughs> uh, uh, second thing is uh he mentioned that garrett cole holds the astros record yep. which is actually a really helpful clue yeah because it eliminates guys like justin verlander uh, J.R. Richard, Mike Scott, Roger Clemens, mm. Nolan Ryan for that team, right? They've had a lot of whiff machines on that team, so that's that's helpful. Uh, one more thing I noticed was you use the word franchise instead of team. Mm. So just to clarify, like that means we're combining the Twins and Senators and the Expos and Nationals. Is that right? That is right. Franchise, not active okay. teams. All right, good. So that like that offers a little Walter Johnson and Pedro clarity, I, I guess. It does. But, it does. Right? Indeed. Okay, so now let's try to think this through. Uh, Nolan Ryan's got to be one. Okay, Nolan, Angels and Rangers. Nolan Ryan is correct. The Angels and Rangers. You're one for four. Okay, Randy Johnson has to be two. Mariners and Diamondbacks. That is also correct. Randy Johnson for the Diamondbacks and for the Mariners. You're two for four. All right, Doug. 
you want to take over? Because I'm, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm in I trouble. Had, but I have I, those I, too. I, I feel good ideas. about that. Okay, like all right, let's think about let's, it. Let's let's think. Tom uh, Tom Seaver. I have him on my list. Mets yeah. and Reds or uh, you wouldn't hold the White Sox. Mets and Reds. Steve Carlton is a really good guest. Phillies and Cardinals. Uh Pedro Expos Red Sox. Roger Clemens, Red Sox and uh, Wow, Blue Jays maybe? Like he did win a Cy Young a couple of Yeah, there. Exactly. Uh, we, what about like Scher- Max Scherzer? Well, he couldn't. We we know, no, because yeah. he, right, no. he can't be the he Tiger. Doesn't, he doesn't. He doesn't own the Tigers. Um, um, did Sabathia play? CC Sabathia ever get a title in there? Um, I don't think his strikeout totals were big enough. Like I'm worried about somebody that goes way way back like rube waddell <laughs> right. really like that you know i've had enough rube waddell strikeout notes to know he struck out a lot of guys i don't just don't remember yeah but he figured <laughs> that, his career that well. well you figure those records were like broken in the last 20 years right i mean i don't know maybe ryan i guess that period of the 80s was like big you know yeah. mario soto's type and stuff. Hey, hey i have another clarification question Hembo. Is yes this sir since 1900 no, this is franchise <laughs> history. History. Major League Baseball history dating to 1876, the year of our Lord. Yeah. So yeah, guy like this goes back to when guys were pitching six hundred innings. Yeah. It doesn't it does indeed. So that now we're really in trouble. So there, <laughs> that like that's a real issue. And then expansion is a real issue. Like I started thinking about Wilson Alvarez yeah, with right. the Rays like, and White and Sox or I don't know. <laughs> it, it seems really unlikely, but this is what we're dealing with here. Let, all right, let's try to hone in. Uh, right. Any like any of these that we've thrown out there that you really like, or any? I mean, okay, so you said Clemens, and that would be like Boston, Toronto. I mean, he didn't he win us? Did he win a Cy Young? And he Toronto? won two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He won. So he was he, really he good. Uh, I like I like Rocket. I liked uh, Seaver. All right, let's think. Mets. Did they have any strikeout pitchers? Johan Santana. Yeah. Dwight Gooden, man. I mean, the, well, that's true. The vintage Dwight Gooden, I think, probably holds the yeah, all right, single we'll season record. That's why right, I don't so think So we'll get Seaver out of there. Carlton. Right, the question is, Carlton definitely with the Phillies, even more than Schilling, but... Um, the, the Cardinals? Cardinals. Bob Gibson? Have more than Gibson? Oof, that's uh, a tough one. Uh, and then you said Pedro... Pedro, Expos. Expos Red Sox, but then I also we were also thinking about Clemens with the Red Sox. So only Ooh. one can possibly yes. hold this right, record. So, so it's either Clemens or Pedro. More, I'm more than happy Pedro to step more. in here whenever you guys are do, ready do you, to have just some, whenever you want some guidance. We, or, not a we, hint. Do we want hints? Do we want let hints? Me, are we allowed to have hints? Hey, this is a hard question. Let me There's just four this. answers to this question. Let me say this, Jason and Doug. So you've gotten two, two so far. The other two both names have been mentioned as part of this brainstorm out loud so so like we're not as dumb as we may appear but we're still going to get well, it wrong you know? that's correct i mean you said so, two dozen names but two of the names are correct i mean so i mean it's so uh, probably oh, like carlton or pedro or clemens carlton pedro or clemens or, or all of the well, two of two of those. Three. Well, you mentioned you did mention a few others. Waddell. Oh, I know. <laughs> I mean, Waddell's scaring the hell out of me. Um, okay, I would I would guess Carlton and Clemens, but I don't feel great about it. Doug, do you have any objections to those two guesses? All right. So, all right. Okay. So we're we're guessing those. <laughs> yeah. 
I have no objections. Okay. All right. All right, can Go I chime ahead, in here? Bo. You okay, so, bad news. So neither of those are the correct answer. I can tell you that Steve Carlton does not own a single season strikeout record for any team he pitched on. That's a show, and, so showing did. And Roger, and Roger Clemens only owns one. So now we're back to Tom Seaver oh, yeah, and Rube Waddell. And Pedro was wrong. All right, we got to guess. We can't leave this guy on here for 20 minutes. So let's figure something out. Come Again, on. you guys have peppered the leaderboard here. You just have to you just have to name the guy. You have to name the guy. Right. But, but Come on, Glenville. By the way, I've something was just recently said that was not true. Like you said, Doug, you just said a name. You said he, we had, he has been eliminated. That is not the case. And if I said so, it was my error. Well, did I did I say Pedro? Pedro Martinez oh. is correct, and if and if I did not make that clear, my apologies. But he owns this, the Red Sox oh, single okay. season strikeout record. He does, and he owns the Nationals uh, single season strikeout rec- record as an Expo, which right. counts. So you guys have said his name uh. many times, never a, a formal or official <laughs> guest, but I knew you'd get there eventually. So I just this put is, you out of your misery. So yeah, this is how how it works. We talk you, ourselves out all of good. the right answer. You guys are now yeah. three for four. The most difficult one by far um, is remaining, and again. His name has been said, which is already incredibly impressive by my, well, as far as I'm concerned. I think that's you, Stark. It's a mo- mute, mod- it's a modern said, or ancient? Walter Johnson, Rube Waddell. I think you mentioned. No, it can't be Walter Johnson now. Trust um, your gut, Jason Stark. I think my gut that's Rube. is Rube Waddell. I had, like, again, I had a, a million <laughs> Rube Waddell strikeout notes once upon a time. Okay, time, Jason so. Stark, that's... that is correct. And you've got to give me the team. <laughs> give me the Rube Waddell team, Jason Stark. Oh, crap. <laughs> A's the A's in 1904 is correct. Wow, Browns, uh, <laughs> Tigers. No, it's not Tigers. The Browns, right? the Browns is right, but who who are the Browns now? The Browns are the Orioles. That is correct. It's, it's wow, for the 1908 <laughs> Browns struck out oh like 200, 232 guys, and that remains the Orioles franchise record. That's impossible. <laughs> 232 remains the Orioles record. Jim Palmer, unbelievable. Didn't... It should Rube Waddell shouldn't count because we guessed him after we guessed twelve other guys. But <laughs> I want to. I want credit for that. You if said we him have, early. We, you well, said Rube Waddell early in the game, which like stunned me. Absolutely. Well, if we if we had my scheme, we we would have nailed this one. I think we would have been right on target. We would have. Normally yeah. we have like we take four guesses we, each. <laughs> well, not normally. That was that was banned well, by the it was banned, trivia, yes. trivia authorities. But yes. Glanville's cheating scheme helped us avoid. I think we, I think we would have nailed it on that one. So I feel, you know. All right, so, all right, so let's bring in the mayor here. We we did not get this right. <laughs> uh, I can't give you credit for this one. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, Jason, you're the one who is so against Doug's <laughs> cheating scheme, and now you're trying. This is the second time in I think yeah. a month that you've tried to use it. Well, he's conceded. So I think that, you know we either we, need to go back and formally legalize the cheating scheme. <laughs> Turn to Twitter. Th- that's going to take. Right, you're going to have th- to put that through the town council. I mean, there's going to have to be a vote. So <laughs> I can't give you credit, it's but like I will say it's the it's fact that Rube Waddell came out of your mouth so early on, unbelievable. I unbelievable. I mean, I'm surprised I didn't give it away by like falling off my chair when you said the name. <laughs> very impressive, but I can't right, give so you credit. I, all right, well, let's ask Kembo. What you? What do you think of the propriety of using Glanville's devious cheating scheme? <laughs> I mean, to me, like the, the the grading scale here needs to be needs to slide based upon the difficulty of the question. And given the fact that this was an outrageously difficult question, and the fact that you named all all guy all the guys very very early is super impressive to me. You got two right off the top, 
And you got there without much coercing on my behalf. And you got Pedro really early, and there was some miscommunication there. So, I mean, this is one in which I would give you a lot of credit. Like, if it's just a yes or no, it's probably a no. But, I mean, if you, you have to watch the game to realize how impressive this one was. Yep. Well, That's what I think. Right, well, okay, the mayor's ruled we were not correct, but we get a nice pat on the back. I think we got, yeah, asterisk. We got an asterisk. But sure. Here's the problem. Like, we're, we've turned into the Orioles of trivia. It's been months since we got one right. Why, why are we still doing this? I am confident. I am confident that you could ask that same question to almost anyone, and none of them would get it, would get it right off the top four for four. Would ne- certainly them. never mention Rubardell. How about Golic? How about Golic? Like, I've been thinking of inviting Golic on the show as a guest trivia answer consultant. He's really better at this than Greeny. So you I'm think he would guessing- get this one? I'm guessing that the only thing Golik would know about Rube Waddell is that he ate crackers in bed. That's my guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I think. Okay, well, all right, whatever. If you listen regularly, you know whether we get the question right, well, we, we don't ever get them right, or wrong, we still bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, to try to distract you from our pathetic trivia skills by playing some fantastic play-by-play moment involving one of the answers to Tim. Save us again this week, please. You may remember last week, Jason, when I found an Earl Combs clip, my finest yes, moment. Yes, you did. I have no idea how that happened. So I Very tried impressive. to find Rube Waddell to, to beat <laughs> Earl Combs. That It didn't happen. I tried. Oh. It didn't happen. Yeah, 1904 but, radio was a little uh, technologically uh, a little sketchy. Correct. But So we're going to go with the all-time strikeouts leader, period. Forget about teams. Forget about single seasons. And we're going to go with the night that he hit the big 5,000. August 22nd, 1989. Here's Nolan Ryan. Ricky Henderson leading off at the top of the fifth. The A's one of the Rangers nothing. Henderson was victim number 4,998. Again, at two strikes, we'll just back out and watch the scene with you. time Nolan Ryan gets number 5,000 Ricky Henderson will be in the record books as strikeout number 5,000 so I just want to point out that was a play-by-play clip that contained like 30 seconds of no play-by-play <laughs> right. well if you really if you like squint with your ears you could hear the PA the public address guy came on and said you know 5,000 strikeouts that's the one problem when you grab when you find the TV call and it's a great moment yeah. where the broadcasters do their job and let the pictures tell the story. It kind of fails us in the podcast world. <laughs> <laughs> there was no failure there. We have video. Bumps. We have video. Uh, like, we, uh, anyway, Hambo, that was a great, yeah, great that was question. Fun, and, fun and, question. Well yeah. done, gentlemen. Yeah, really a pleasure to have oh. you join us on Starkville. Don't be a stranger. Come on back anytime. Yeah. Later, boys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks, Hambo. Strange but true. Every week we wrap up this show by laughing and beholding our favorite strange but true moments of the week. And Doug, this week we need to talk about a guy who's definitely going to be a future Starkville guest, Brett Phillips of the Rays, because not only is he so much fun, he's become a walking strange but true assembly line. So here's what he's done. Okay, so. Between July 29th and last Monday, he only started five games. But here's what he did in four of them. July 29th, he hit a grand slam. August 8th, 
hit another Grand Slam. August 11th, third Grand Slam in two weeks. <laughs> and then last Monday, he did this really cool thing. Oh, no. Fly ball. Deep left center off the bat of Phillips. And that's going to be off the wall. Bounds away from Mullins. Stewart's going to have to make the pickup. And here comes Phillips. He's trying to circle them all inside the park home run. Brent Phillips with an inside the park home run. Of course. What side of the stadium do you think they put his uh, statue on? <laughs> <laughs> Brian Anderson with D. Wayne stats. Uh, yesterday I had they throw the other Brian Anderson talking about the story I wrote about Brett Phillips on this. But anyway. That's three Grand Slams and an inside-the-park homer in less than three weeks. And uh, just to recap here, I believe that would be three more Grand Slams than Doug Glanville hit in a decade and the same number of inside-the-park homers. Would that be correct, Doug? Uh, are we counting minor leagues or, or big leagues? No. Only? <laughs> no. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, he's 3-0 at the major league level. Uh, very impressive. Or we can count spring training if, unless you throw that in there. Yeah, and we'll have to we'll have to get uh, Rick Helling on here sometime for reaction to your inside the park. <laughs> but anyway, enough, enough about you. Uh, back to Brett Phillips. Um, all right, so I asked my friends at, at Stats to look into this feat. Here's what they told me. Three slams and an inside the park homer in three weeks? That is the shortest span ever. And who held the old record? That would be some guy named Babe Ruth. Uh, 1929, he did it in 36 days, which I'm sure he thought was great, but obviously he was no Brett Phillips. Uh, and also three slams in 19 plate appearances for Brett. Uh, Stats says there have only been two other players in history who hit three slams in no more than 20 plate appearances. One is Jim Northrup, 1968 Tigers, hit three slams in 14 plate appearances. The other Lou Gehrig for the 31 Yankees hit three slams in 20 plate appearances. But if you were keeping score there, you know, Brett Phillips hit his three in 19. So what have we learned, Doug, that also Lou Gehrig was no Brett Phillips. Either. <laughs> so great, right? Incredible. I mean, it's, I mean, first of all, he's so much fun anyway. I mean, he just kind of, but, I mean, just to express how hard that is when you're not starting every day, you know, that's another factor. I mean, you know, you get the rhythm of playing, you get hot, but you're starting, you're benched, you're playing, you're cold. Uh, I mean, that is really hard to stay that kind of sharp and then maintain a power stroke on top of that. So, I mean, it, it's pretty mind-blowing how, how well you can – how well he's been able to pull this off because I just feel like if I didn't start for three days, my swing always felt mistimed. I always had to get – extra work in the cage this guy to be able to not only hit but hit at that level with that kind of production that's it makes sense that it's historic <laughs> yeah like i i almost after i've realized that he hit these he hit the four homers in a span of five starts i almost decided to ask stats about that too but doug i asked stats too many questions <laughs> i gave him a break from this one but here's actually the question i wanted to ask you uh, like, obviously, I called Brett Phillips after he did this so I could write about it for my weird and wild column the other day. And uh, you haven't caught that. <laughs> he is. He is fun. But uh, anyway, along the way, part of our conversation, 
he basically tried to renounce these two records. He said, <laughs> like, it doesn't sound right for his name to be in the same sentence as their names. So even though he broke the records, he thinks he should give them back to Ruth and Gary. <laughs> The question to you is, should we allow that? Can a guy renounce his own records? No, we have to disallow it. And as you recall, when we had Sarah Langs on, she talked about that's what's so fun about baseball. You could have these records by Ruth, and you could also have Brett Phillips's name in there. And it's completely normal in baseball, right? You have who is the top pinch hitter, who is the has the most stolen bases on a Saturday. I mean, we have all kinds of fun. And Phillips' name actually makes Ruth and Gehrig and all these legends even more legendary because Phillips was able to pull it off and bring their names forward into time and compare it to Brett Phillips. I kind of like that. That's good for Ruth and Gehrig, actually. Keeps them alive. Okay. That would be news to them. But um, I'd say here, like, I, I think we need to think about this on the next level, too, uh, because here's what we would be opening up. Uh, like, someday, not not too far down the road, somebody's going to strike out, like, 250 times some hitter. Right. And he's oh, yeah. going to want to renounce that yeah, record you can renounce if we it. open this up. Okay. Like some pitcher is going to give up 60 homers, break Burt Blylevin's record. He'll try to renounce that record. So you, like, you see where this could lead. You know, anytime a guy sets a record he wants no part of, he could just say, Oh, I don't deserve this record. I don't deserve to be in the same sentence as Burt Blylevin. I'm just going to give it back to him. Uh, that, that seems like a problem to me. I, I, am I right? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like playing baseball with a giant eraser and, uh, and leaving that to the players themselves to decide uh, what history to erase and preserve. Now, I can understand if there's like trophies, something that's formal, like winning a championship or something concrete. You know, maybe you have, you know, we have some scandals. We could talk about that. But um, I think when, because baseball, we always love to throw out trophies and bouquets all the time on the shows for kind of inane things, then we absolutely cannot have it. Otherwise, we don't exist. So we have to exist, and it's existential in our <laughs> world. So we're going to have to demand that Brett Phillips accept this trophy, not only just in a humble way, but actually loudly from the top of a building kind of way. And we want to make sure the foghorn is heard, and we tell the world of his greatness because that is what makes Starkville Starkville. So we can, you know, we can't accept it because otherwise we'd have to, you know, just close down our our shop, our city, and uh, I have to, you know, we have to make sure that we don't allow that to happen. So Starkville must be preserved. Right. That, like the records are the records. Ruth and Gerg are just going to have to welcome Brett Phillips into their little Ruth and Gerg club room up in the sky, <laughs> wherever they are. <laughs> the Starkville Supreme Court has ruled. Okay, that's a wrap for another memorable edition of Starkville. You can find us every Tuesday right here as part of the Athletic Baseball Show. So be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast entertainment. If you'd like to read our work or any of the incredible writing on our site, there is no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you thought about subscribing, just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can subscribe for 33% off an annual subscription. Also remember, you can be part of this podcast because we keep inviting the listener who submits the most fun trivia question of the week to join us right here and prove once again, there is almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong even if Rube Waddell is involved. 
So to do that, you can either email us at starkvilleattheathletic.com or you can fire those questions at us on Twitter uh, to fire a question at Doug Glanville. How would that work? Well, I'm always on Twitter at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. All right, I'm going to spell too because I am at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Jason with a Y, S-T. Remember to hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Joey Vado for visiting us and enlightening us. Thanks to Paul Hembikides for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Doug and I will see you next Tuesday on Starkville.